0: I want to talk for a minute about an exercise in futility. Um, So what I mean by that is an action that has no chance of being successful. Um, And I love your thoughts online. You could uh, unmute um, and and speak or chat. uh, Also in the room, I'd love some examples. So I'll give you my one example. Anybody know what the U.S. debt is? How much it is? think somebody knows how many five million it's i think it's where it's let's say put it in my notes here 31 trillion dollars 30 well that was yesterday i'm not sure what it is today Uh, 31 trillion dollars so here's an exercise in futility i'll contribute my life savings to help meet that debt You couldn't even find what I could contribute, right? There is no human being, no matter how rich they are, that can make a dent in this, right? This is an exercise in futility of saying, okay, I think I'll do my part and I'll give what I have and it just won't help. I'll suffer and nobody will gain, right? So that's an exercise in futility. What are some other thoughts of of an exercise in futility? What would you say? Going join the uh, NBA's Detroit Pistons. <laughs> Going for the tryouts to be with the NBA, the uh, Detroit Pistons. Yeah, that would be an exercise in futility. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to insult you. No, that's good. Yeah, other thoughts? What are other things that might be? Reversing aging. Reversing aging. Yeah, yeah, you can try all you want, you can't stop that. Yeah, I like Ah, beat Lionel Messi in a soccer match. Yeah, you'd have a better chance at it than I would. Um, But neither of us will do very well. Anybody have um, relationships that you say to try to fix this relationship, to improve it, is actually going to be an exercise in futility? Right? You say, oh, wouldn't it be good if we did this? But you know, it's just not going to change. Anybody want peace in the world? (laughs) We could try our part, but it's an exercise in futility. To say, I'm going to give myself to bring peace in the world because I can't do it. Right? I don't have the ability. Um, what if? What if doing the right thing seems like an exercise in futility? And what I mean by the right thing is, especially when God says, "Here's my will for you. I want you to love your enemies." You say. All this is, is a recipe for pain, (laughs) right? This is not going to accomplish something. It's not going to change the relationship. If I love my enemy, it just means I open myself up to be hurt more, right? What what if Jesus said, somebody comes and says, hey, I'm sorry I hurt you, forgive him.' How many times a day are we supposed to do that? 77, 77, a day, a day. Somebody comes and says, oh, I'm sorry I hurt you again. This sounds like an exercise in futility to me, right? I'm just rewarding behavior. It's just going to continue on. And I think, what if the work that God wants done in the world, I just, there's not enough of us. We can't do it. It's too big. It'll be an exercise in futility. And I really want to think about how do we respond to these things when Jesus says, do this, but it's just, it's too big, right? it's, It's beyond us. And I don't have the ability. I mean, just make it personal. How many of us have struggled to conquer a particular sin in life? Right? So, I'm going to get past this. I'm going to do it this time. <sighs> and pretty soon we say, you know what? It's just not going to change. It feels like an exercise in futility. Uh, this year we've been thinking about this idea of what does it mean to grow uh, as disciples, as learners of Jesus Christ in a world that's broken. Right? We express this idea that, that we confess. We say, God is my Father, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit is his power and presence in me, along with all of God's people to grow his kingdom everywhere. And it can be a great lofty statement. And yet, it can feel sometimes like, I can't make progress in this. It's an exercise in futility. It's too big. It's too too far beyond me. We want to think today about what it is to join the work of God in the world when it seems like that work is, it's too hard. It's not going to make progress. We're not going to be able to make a dent in what is needed. And yet he calls us into that work. So let's pray and just ask God to speak through his word today. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that we can join together uh, as a people today um, across, uh, across continents um, and in, from people physically coming in this community. And we thank you for the privilege it is to gather. We thank you that you are present. Holy Spirit, that that you are the power and the presence of God among us. We thank you for the gift of the Bible. We ask today, Holy Spirit, that you would use it, that you do your work in us. And I pray especially that you would give us courage and boldness to walk in faith, to know that you are alive and at work in the world, that we would follow you boldly In large steps and in small steps, but trusting that you are there and you are at work. So would you encourage us, grant us courage today. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Uh, We'll talk more about this drawing in a little bit. We're uh, beginning a series in Daniel. um, And uh, excited to take a look at it. Um, Trying things a little bit differently so I won't have the text on the screen again. Um, so really would like you to have a, a Bible in front of you, um, whether that's a physical Bible, and there are some on the tables if you didn't get one yet, uh, or a device um, would like for you to be able to have that. There are handouts as well that were with the bulletin. Um, we're going to take some time to look at uh, this, the stories in the book of Daniel. Let me just say a little bit to, to set the scene in Daniel. Um, There's some key events that lead up to this. Uh, way back 2100 BC, uh, God made a promise to Abraham. And he said, Abraham, I'm going to give you a people and a land. And he didn't have either. (laughs) He he couldn't have kids. He didn't own any land. And it seemed that he couldn't really. Yeah, if you need a Bible, they're coming down the sides here. Put your hand up. I'll get you one. Um, He promised that this would come. And, And it did. It eventually came. And then about a thousand years later, God made a promise to David. And David said that in his family, there would be kings forever. That forever, his his son and his son's son and so on, they would have people who reigned as king forever. And yet the people were not faithful to God. And so then God sent prophets and said, you know what? You've got to change. (laughs) That if you don't change, you're going to be conquered. You're going to lose your identity you're going to lose the the royalty, the king, you're going to lose uh, this land. And the prophets came repeatedly, and yet they didn't change. And so in 605 BC, uh, they were conquered, part one of three. (laughs) There were three times in a row that they were successively conquered by Babylon. And in this, they lost the king, they lost the temple, and they lost the people. Uh, The king stopped having the authority as a king and he was now just an underling of the king of Babylon. Uh, We'll see in this story that that the the treasures in the temple were taken away and then the people of the land were taken away. And and so then by 586 BC, uh, they were conquered. Part three of three, it was done. And again, the kingdom was gone. The temple was destroyed and the people were taken away and most of them never returned. So today's story, it takes place in this first part one of three of being conquered. Um, we'll see that the Daniel story extends for a long period of time um, and uh, takes all the way through uh, to when the people are restored. But here's the, the point that we are. And let me just say, Daniel, as a whole book, wrestles with this question. How can God's people live well in a world where God seems to be losing? Um, Sometimes people reflect on that today and says, you know, what? sometimes it seems like God is losing in this setting, right? And we'll say in a local setting or globally, and we say, I don't know, where is the work of God? What is he doing? And that is a question they wrestled with. And so I think this whole book says, how can God's people live well in a world where God seems to be losing? So we're just going to take uh, some time to walk through chapter one. Um, and so I want to read it and a few reflections in this. Daniel Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men, without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine, from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. So let's stop there for a second. So we're told about this time when Nebuchadnezzar came and he conquered. Um, So in verse 2, just this profound statement, the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hands of the king of Babylon. Literally, God gave. God gave the king of Judah into the hands of Babylon. The, The author of this text, which traditionally is Daniel, the author says, this wasn't really about a foreign king conquering God's people. It was about God giving his people up because of what he promised, because of what they'd done. God was the the one who was working here. He was the actor. And so then, uh, obviously Nebuchadnezzar doesn't think this. Nebuchadnezzar thinks his God is bigger. And so he says, I'm going to take the treasures from your temple and take it to my God's temple. And this was a way to say, my God's bigger than your God, <laughs> right? It's just take your treasures and put them in my God's temple. And, and so he thought that, that he was the one in charge. And he took the treasures. He controlled the king. And then we're told he was to take the best of the young men, probably 15-year-olds, something like that. And we're told these were as good as you can get. These people. I mean, the list of all the qualifications is a bit overwhelming, right? They they had all the qualities that people would want, but he says I'm going to take the best you have, and they're going to be mine, and I'm going to change them to be mine. And so he says that he took them and he was going to put them uh, in his in his palace and feed them and gave them new names. And there's been a lot of debate about these names. The the Hebrew names are pretty clear. Uh, Daniel means uh, my God, or God is judge, right? So that we know the Hebrew well enough. Hananiah means Yahweh is gracious. Mishael means who is like God. And Azariah says, Yahweh is my helper. So these were names their parents gave them to say, always remember your God, the God of Israel, the God of our fathers, always remember. And so this king said, "Ah, no, we're going to change those names. (laughs) And there's a lot of debate about what the names actually mean because they're not in Hebrew. But what's clear is it's stripping them of the identity connected with their God and to impose another God on them. To to give them a name that's in a different language that is cut off from their heritage. But here's a puzzle. Sometimes people in the Bible took those new names and lived with them. And there's sometimes that they said, well, okay, we can roll with that. You can change my name, but it doesn't change my identity. But this was the effort by the king, is to cut them off from their own heritage. See, we see in this section, this forced assimilation, right? This effort to erase their old identity. And so in this, these young men are captured. They're forced to learn new languages. They're forced into an education that was uh, uh, about the religion of the Babylonians, about their view of the world. They were given these new names. They were given this new rich food, which we know in the latter days of, of Jerusalem, they didn't have a lot of food, so it might have been abundant, but it was not theirs. And in fact, some would say there's indication that these men were made eunuchs. They were conquered and told, you are now ours, right? And in all of this, then it was required service to the conquering king. It says, now you are dependent upon this king and you owe loyalty to this king. This was a tough situation, right? It looks like God is losing. God said, I can give you a name that will last forever. As you read earlier, you will be a blessing to the nations. That's not what it looks like. And so now you go back to the first statement. How did they end up in Babylon? The Lord delivered them over to this. God gave them over and they deserved it. Right. This was a time of great tragedy. It's hard to imagine the loss. And so trying for anything good there would be an exercise in futility. Even our God has given us away. And so what do we do? So then verse 8, we see how they approached it. Verse 8. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this test and tested them for 10 days. So stop there for a second. We're told Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the king's food, with the food and the wine. He decided, this is a place where I'm not giving in. Apparently it wasn't at names, because later on we see him referred to by that new name. It wasn't at the education he was going to get. He didn't say, no, that's where I stop it. It wasn't saying, you're going to have to be in the service of this king. It wasn't that. For some reason, he said, here is where I'm going to draw the line. I'm going to stop at eating the king's food? And there are all sorts of questions in this, right? So there was some indication that maybe this relates to the food laws that were in the Old Testament, but there was no law against wine. For some reason said, we're not going to drink the wine. And so maybe it's related to idolatry, and the the meat was offered to these these other gods. Certainly the wine was too, and certainly it would make sense. Maybe the vegetables that they did eat were too. It was all tainted with that. Maybe it was that the rest of the people who were captured were going to be living in poverty. And like Moses saying, I don't want the riches of Pharaoh. (laughs) I want to be identified with my people. Maybe that's it. He says, I don't want to live in luxury when others of my people who have been conquered are not. We don't know what it was. But we do know that he said, this is related to my relationship with God. I don't want my relationship with God harmed. So I'm going to stop here. So he makes this request. And now this is fascinating. So in in Hebrew, uh, Adonai is a word for God, but it also means my Lord. So when he says to the the, the chief official, I don't want to do this, the chief official says, well, you might be afraid of your God, Adonai. I'm afraid of my Lord, the king. (laughs) And this shows Daniel was saying, the king is not my God. The king is not my Lord. I'm going to make a claim that Yahweh is my God. And here's where I'm going to do it. So we don't know really why food was the one place he chose to make that stand. But we do know he chose this as a place to make his stand. Now, to realize in that setting, probably being a bit overweight was what everybody wanted. (laughs) You wanted to show luxury, right? You wanted to show that there was enough sustenance And so the king wanted to show that he has taken these scrawny little guys (laughs) and made them heavy, right? Made them desirable. And so one of them says, no, I'm going strict vegetarian and water. He says, this is going to be bad because you're not going to get fat eating that. And that's what we want. You need to show the wealth of the king. So he says, if you do this, I'm going to die because the king will be upset. And now this is fascinating. Daniel says, well, how about we try an experiment? 10 days, let's see what happens. There's no human reason for Daniel to think that after 10 days, he's going to have gained any weight on his vegetarian diet. (laughs) There's no way he's going to keep up with the people drinking all the wine and the meat and the rich foods that the king is giving. But he says, let's try an experiment. He took a risk trusting that somehow God would be at work, right? And, And he gave it a try. They took... A step of faith. And a phrase in here that's just fantastic. That verse nine, the NIV, this New International Version, says, God caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. Literally, the Lord gave grace and compassion before this chief official. God took action. They took a risk. And God gave, and it's it's the same word that we use for for grace. Chesed, this this word of the steadfast loving-kindness of God. He says, God gave this to them in compassion in front of these officials. And certainly he did. Right? What's, what are, what's he likely going to say when these captives say, No, we don't like your food? Fine. Don't eat, <laughs> right? Or Maybe we'll just kill you right now to show such disrespect for the king or you're out of this. We'll send you out in the streets to fend for yourself. It's an amazing thing that they were willing to consider this thing. So God did cause a change to happen. They took a step of faith and God gave grace and compassion in the presence of these people. So then verse 15. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished, literally fatter, than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time, set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service, and every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. So they tried this experiment. Ten days later, somehow... God made it so that they gained more weight than the other people. And it was a gift of God. And so they say, okay, this is a plan. We can do this. And then you notice verse 17. God gave. Again, there are three times in this passage, God gave. He first of all gave the king over to the king of Babylon. Secondly, he gave grace and compassion when they took a risk. And here he gave knowledge and understanding. But you get this? What was the knowledge and understanding of? All kinds of literature, meaning especially literature that was not Jewish literature. It wasn't honoring the God of Israel. It was honoring these pagan gods and how they could interpret dreams. This this helps when we think about, I'm in an educational system where I'm going to learn things that don't honor God. (laughs) It's like, well, God enabled them to learn these things that they needed to learn, and it didn't defile them. Right? It's a right thing to wrestle with it, but, but here God gave them the ability to be what the king wanted them to be and yet so much more. They were better than all the others in their, their cohort. In fact, they were time times better than the best in all the, 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 the kingdom. Right? An exceptional ability that God had given them. So we see that God gave again. One way that, that people have expressed it is that God made the resolve not end in futility. They said, we're going to take a step of faith not to be defiled. And God made sure they didn't die because of it. (laughs) In fact, God blessed them so that they could be successful in it. God gave grace in response to their small step of faith. When I think about what God intends in this passage for people across time, I think when we look at a world that's broken and we say, how are we supposed to live in a world where it seems like God is losing (laughs) When we don't see his ways being done, what do we do? And I think this statement is that God gives grace to those who take steps of faith in him. That if, if you'll say, well, I'm going to take a step of faith, Daniel says, I'm not going to eat that food as a sign, as a place to say, I honor God first. God's my king, not that man. That God gave grace. God helped them in that trouble. See, um, with this drawing, you can see uh, the story here. This person is on a journey. What are some things you notice about the journey of this person? It's not, going up. not going up. Yeah. It keeps going around and around and some of these steps look pretty precarious. Right? See, sometimes doing the best we can seems likely to do any good. I don't know if you ever feel that. Right? You say in this relationship... I can do the best I can, but it's not taking us anywhere. We've done it before, and we're coming back around again, right? To bring about this change in my heart, I can do the best I can, but we're going to be here again tomorrow, right? I I, I could try to fix society, but you know what? It's going to be here again tomorrow. And sometimes it just seems like doing the best I can, the best we can do, is likely just to bring us around on the the other side again just with feet that are a bit more worn out and more times that we could have fallen. Right? I don't know if you feel that, but, but the weight of this is real. Uh, one of the family members says, you know, if you're driving along in the car and something falls over, don't pick it up because it's just going to fall over again. Just let it sit on the floor and when we get there, we'll take care of it. Sometimes we can do this in life. We say, you know what? We're just going around in circles. And where's the hope come from? And I'm fascinated when people express an optimism that just says, no, I just have this feeling it's going to keep getting better. I'm not feeling it, (laughs) right? Where does that hope come from? And so this is where I think the difference we might add is that there's a step that's put in front of us that says, you know what? There's an invitation to take a step of faith. It's not just another step forward, but it's a step of faith, right? And, And when we do, God gives grace and compassion. He says, you know what? If you'll take a step of faith, toward me. I will be there. I will give grace and compassion. There's this outside influence that says, no, it's not just going to be another trip around. God himself will do a work. See, from a human perspective, our actions are just too small. They can't accomplish what needs to be done. And this is just over and over again, right? From a human perspective, it's just hard to believe that we can actually lead to things significantly improving, especially for an individual. (laughs) To contribute, It seems that, that our actions are too small. And yet here's the great hope. God interrupts the world with his own work when we take a step of faith. Individually, globally, God steps in. He interrupts. He says, this isn't just going to continue on the way it's been for generations. If you'll take a step of faith, God says, I will step in and give you grace and compassion. Right? God gives grace to those who take steps of faith in him. So for Daniel, it was resolve not it was a resolve to honor God above the king. Right? He says I'm going to take a step of faith and I'm going to say the God of Israel, Yahweh, he is my God, not your king. Now, it's really important to see this. He did this with respect and tact. Right? He didn't just straight out dishonor the king and said, "No way, I'm not going to do this." With, with great tact and respect, he said, well, maybe we can find a way to meet all our needs here. But he still said, my king is, is Yahweh. It's not the king that you're telling me is my king. And when he did that, God was present. God gave grace and compassion. God gave him an ability. God was at work. Uh, in the story of Jesus, we see this woman uh, who experienced this bleeding for 12 years. For 12 years, right? Think where you were 12 years ago, and to say, what if I had this this awful condition that cuts me off from people? It's taken all my money. It's, it's brought shame, and I have no way to stop this. I, I've tried and I've tried. And she said, I'm gonna I'm gonna try something. I'm gonna take a step of faith. And she said, you know what? I'm, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna get close enough to Jesus that I can touch his clothing. He won't even know it. It'll just be the edge of his clothing. And if I could touch it, he'll be healed. She said, here's a step of faith that I'm going to take. And when she did, immediately was gone. Taken care of, over, washed clean. She was done in a moment. And there was nothing magical about his clothes. Right? All these other people were touching him and it wasn't doing them any good. Then <laughs> it wasn't because she had some special way to do it. She said, I'm going to take a step of faith. And when she did, God gave grace. God gave a gift to her because she was willing to take a step of faith. And when we do that, when we take a step of faith in God, he says, I will give grace. I will give compassion. How about the widow who gave her two tiny coins? Another day in, in, in Jesus' ministry, he's in the, the temple as, as we prayed about giving money today. A lot of people gave money very publicly and so many people were putting in all this great money and this widow put in these two tiny coins that they probably wouldn't even be able to to find after she'd given them. There was nothing. But she says, as an act of faith, I'm going to honor God with what I have, as little as it is. And God gave grace. Jesus said, look at that. That is greater than what everybody else has put in here. Now the puzzle is, We don't know anything changed for her that day. We don't know that all of a sudden she inherited a bunch of money or somebody gave her money. Maybe life didn't change at all. But God gave grace by saying that action, that intentional act of faith is so valuable. It's beyond all the money that anybody else is putting in there. God saw this and gave. The story Jesus told of the Samaritan, that for him, the act of faith was to say, Here's somebody in need, and they think I'm their enemy. I'm going to help anyway. I will help him today, and I'll get him to a place to, to meet his need. It was an act of faith, of saying, this is what God calls us to do. And he's honored. God gives grace to those who will take steps of faith in him. And we see it over and over in the Bible. And, and so the application is really simple, is to take a step of faith in God right? To, to do something to say, God, I trust you, so I'll do this. I trust in the circumstance that humanly speaking, I'm not sure it makes much sense, but you've asked me to do it, so I'll do it and I'll trust you. An expression of faith. And we do this most clearly by obeying God's commands, right? God says, here's what I want you to do. Honor me with your wealth. Give for the sake of the poor. And to do that, is an expression of trust in God. And he says, if you'll take an action of faith, if you'll take a step of faith, I'll give grace and compassion. He doesn't say, and I'll give you lots of money to to replace it, right? But he does say, I will give grace and compassion. Even when it seems pointless. Even when we say, you know what? I've tried to be patient so many times and number one, I end up not being as patient as I know I should be. I keep failing. And number two, it never seems to help. It just means I have more opportunity to be patient. (laughs) Right? And it can seem pointless. But to take a step of faith and say, you tell me to do it. I'm not sure it makes sense humanly. But you say, if I'll do it, you will give grace. So I'll do it and trust you. Right? And it's still being wise and skillful. It's not saying just do foolish things. Right. Right? We're still to be wise and skillful, even as Daniel was. But we're called to do things as an act of trust. It's been so exciting for me to watch as people in this community do that, in this congregation do that. People have said, you know what? This is going to be risky, but there's something that's happening in the local schools. I want to speak up. And it's an act of faith because this could go really badly. (laughs) This could just lead to conflict in my life. This could just be hard. But I'm going to take the step of faith to say, God, I think... This is the right thing to do. And to step in and say, I will take a step of faith. And to see God has taken action in that. And there are some good things that have come from that. Not always easy, but we see God at work. So uh, in transparency, a couple of weeks ago, um, uh, back in January, we were going through preaching on the end of John 17, Jesus' high priestly prayer. And he says, I want the church to be unified. And uh, this is a challenging one. Uh, I, I, I don't know how you ever solve this, <laughs> right? The church, right? Not just this church and not just other churches in the Evangelical Free Church and not just other Protestant churches, but that church would be unified. And I think there's nothing I can do to contribute to this, right? And yet saying, okay, as an act of faith, God convicted me saying, I need to take action. And so it is stepping in and saying, I don't know how this is going to go and I'm not sure it's going to do any good. But you know what? There are some people I know I need to talk with that I think hold something against me and I've got some hardness with them. So let's try. And I thank God that he's given grace in those conversations. Doesn't mean all of a sudden it's all easy. And it doesn't mean that the global unity of the church has changed at all. It still feels like the U.S. debt and what I can give. I don't answer for that. But I've been convicted that I need to take action and say, okay, God, I'll take a step of faith even if it seems like it won't help. And the wonderful thing is I've seen God give good gifts to do good work in that. I don't know what it is for you that's a step of faith. In reality, I expect that being in a church building is a step of faith for some of us. So I don't know, there's a lot that's challenging in this, and yet a step of faith, and God will meet us. right? For, for some of us, it is the relationship. You say, I'm not sure I can send another message to this person when it's so hard. And yet, if we take the step of faith. For some of us, the step of faith is to yet again pursue holiness. As I say, I've not made progress. And yet the step of faith says, I will try again. Maybe the step of faith is generosity. I don't know what it is, but I expect for each one of us, the step of faith is not too far from us. That God says, here's what faith will look like for you. And for some of us is to pray, God, here's something I really want, but I'll submit to your plan. And that's a step of faith. And if we'll take that step of faith, what we see in Daniel is that God gives grace. He gives compassion. Now, God doesn't promise what he will do or give. Sometimes when we do this, it looks successful, like Daniel's success. Woohoo! right? He goes from thinking he might die to being 10 times greater than anybody else in the kingdom, right? So sometimes it actually is that way, that God gives an amazing blessing. And sometimes it looks like failure. And so we'll see in a couple of weeks, these, these three friends of, of Daniel who were threatened if they don't worship the idol of the king. They're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. And they said, we don't know, we might end up dying in that furnace. But that's okay. Even so, we will worship our God and not the God that the king has set up. And so that's the reality. Sometimes we say, I'm going to take a step of faith. And it seems that the world has gotten worse because of it. And some of us can tell stories of how we've tried to do that. And yet, God gives grace and compassion. We can't say what it's going to look like. We can't say how it's going to turn out. Yet this is what we know. It will always be an expression of God's goodness. Even when God handed the king of Judah to Babylon, it was for their good. It did not look like it. It did not feel like it. And yet God did a purifying work in his people through this. See, God gives grace to those who take step of faith in him. And so the call for us is to take a step of faith, whether it's big or small. And so I really appreciate this, uh, this expression in 1 Corinthians. Um, God chooses the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast in him. And sometimes we say, well, I'd take a step of faith, but it's totally irrelevant. It's not big enough to matter. I don't matter. Who cares? And guess what? God delights to take those things. He says, okay, will you take a step of faith with that? God chooses the lowly things of the world and the despised things, the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that nobody can boast. Some of us will take big steps and say, life journey, I can contribute to a lot of things and and I've been given this job offer and a future here, but you know, I'm going to go this way as a step of faith in God and maybe it'll change the world. (laughs) And that's good. Most of us aren't there. Most of us say, you know what, the, the step I have to take won't matter. It's so small. And yet, I'll trust God with it. And God says, I delight to use those things. God gives grace to those who take steps of faith in him. And we don't know what will happen. We'll hear some more about it, but there's been uh, this, this experience of revival happening uh, at Asbury College. And these revivals often begin with something very small. Somebody who takes a step of faith and says, you know what? I haven't really been serious in my walk with God. And it breaks my heart. And sometimes something so small as that, and God says, oh, I love to use things like this. And he gives grace. And now we'd like to say, oh, I bet I could start one because I have something I could confess, right? We can't manipulate God. And we don't know what God's going to do. Except we do know this that if we'll take steps of faith in following him, he will give grace, he will show compassion, and he'll bring about his goodness in the way that he chooses. I'm going to take a minute to pray. And uh, in that, I want to give you the time to listen and to say, here is the step of faith that God asks me to take. And maybe it's clear to you, maybe it's not, but let's ask him to make that clear and then to say, okay, I will take a step of faith and trust that you will give grace, that you will show compassion. So let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you that you're active in this world. And sometimes it doesn't look like in certain relationships or in the world overall or whatever it is, it doesn't look like you're winning. And yet you are present and you are at work. And so we ask that you'd help us to take a step of faith and trust that you will give grace. So Father, would you speak to us now as in silence we listen. Show us a step of faith. You call for each one of us in following you. in heaven we thank you that you are at work and so we the best we can say you are our god jesus that you are our lord and savior and you have authority in our lives and so we want to trust you for each of us today i don't know what it is that that you sense that that god has challenged you with maybe it is to seek him not just to float through life and other things, but to say, if there's a God, I want to know him. And to choose to take the risk to know him more. Maybe he's shown you a path in a relationship. You need to take a step of faith. Maybe it's in your own heart. Maybe it's in a direction of your life. I don't know what it might be. Maybe it's in a relationship with your parents, or with your kids, or with a friend. Whatever it is, take the step of faith that God calls us to take. Our Father, we thank you that you are so kind and good. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are his presence, the presence of our God, the power of our God among us. We ask that you would give us courage and strength to take steps of faith. And then I pray that you would help us to watch with anticipation for the good work that you do, the gifts that you give, in whatever form you choose, that you would be praised. And that we would find joy in our God who gives to those who trust him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.